Welcome to It's All Fine and Dangy, where we talk about community, culture, and all of the big and little things that make life good. Here are your hosts, Dan and Angie. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of the It's All Fine and Dangy podcast. We want to thank you for joining us, and I know I keep saying this, but now that we're in the three digits, it totally trips me out. I know. Saying 104. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Isn't it? It's like... Uh, we made it. We yes. have made it. So we are especially excited this week, as we are anytime we have a great guest, and we definitely have a great guest this week. We are sitting down in the studio, no less, with Karen Whiting. She is an international speaker, award-winning author of 27 books. You heard me right. 27, 27 books. Wow. She is a writing and marketing coach, and that list just goes on and on. So, Karen, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. We are thrilled to finally meet you in person. Well, it's good to meet you in person, too, Dan, and to meet Angie. I haven't even spoken to her before. Yes, you have done some virtual stuff with Dan, though. Yes. Yes, we did. Was it the writing workshops you guys did? Yeah, I think it was right when COVID started. We did some weekend writing workshops. Personally, I loved them. I think they fell apart because not everybody was fully on board, which is understandable, you know. Now, Karen is the one that you said had so much information for you, correct? Like valuable information. Yeah, we're going to get to that, but the okay. pages and pages of digital pages of stuff I okay, showed you all the was notes. all from Karen. Okay, I got yes. you. <laughs> so I still still use those and I appreciate oh that. Oh my gosh. So in true fine and dangy fashion, our very first question that we like to ask is for us to get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about Karen as much as you want, personal, as much personal as you want, as little personal as you want, whatever you want to tell us about yourself, Karen. Okay. <laughs> I grew up in Connecticut in a small town that my family founded back in the 1630s. Your and family founded? <laughs> they wow. founded most of the, a good part of the state of Connecticut, yes. And so Interesting. I can't tell you how many relatives I had because there were so many relatives <gasps> okay. and wow. ancestral people. But I also grew up where because of land parceled off as children got married, I had 31st cousins and 15 or so were within three houses either side of me. And that was really really fun. They were all younger, but it was great to be together and close. That's why I love to go back to Connecticut where every year I see some, but not always all of the family. There's just too many. There's too many to visit when you go. (laughs) Right. Yes. And then I ended up marrying someone who was an active duty Coast Guard officer. And we moved all around from Michigan to Florida, New York to Hawaii. Wow. Constant culture shock, huh? Yes, but we enjoyed that. We had five children and that Uh kept them close because they could always count on each other as they moved. They're still close. To readjust and stuff. Yeah. Yes, I have 14 grandchildren now. Wow. What a large... So so you're continuing (laughs) this tradition that your family did in Connecticut. You have a large family? Yes. More grandchildren probably coming in the future? I don't know yet. I have one who's not married, but who knows with him. As you know, it's not my choice. It's their choice uh-huh. as to what sure. happens. And I'm just enjoying the ones that I have. The girls moved out of Florida this year because of husband's jobs to North Carolina mm-hmm. and Tennessee. Yeah. But not too far away, though. Right. Nice places but to I, visit, yes, right? Yes, but I still have two boys in Florida, and one's only four miles away, so that's okay. fun. Oh, very nice. So real quick, back to your childhood. That must have felt like a really safe <laughs> place to grow up, too, if you're surrounded. 
surrounded by like all your neighbors or your family. That's awesome. Yes. And sometimes they were related to both my mother's and father's side of the family. Oh, oh wow. my goodness. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. And uh, yes, you know, I had a school principal was a distant relative. My grandparents, two houses from me, owned the only restaurant in town as I grew up. So I grew up in the restaurant business, hence I ended up doing one book on bread. And my grandfather was the fire chief, my other grandfather, and an uncle was the town councilman. Oh, so they literally I, ran the town. Yes, wow. they did. They did run the town. And it was just a very comfortable family sitting where I felt very beloved. I was the oldest girl of my generation with my brother being the oldest grandchild. So all the aunts and uncles just doted on us as the first oh. to come along. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Little ones looked up to you because, well, you were the big cousin. Sure. Uh-huh. And that was just a perfect spot to be in to really feel treasured and beloved. Oh, <laughs> I love how you put that. That's amazing. Um, I like how you wrote a book about baking bread because I was just going to ask, this is a town you have to write a story about. Like, have you written a story about it? But you've included some of that into into the book that you wrote. Yes, because it was a devotional cookbook. So there's okay. a heartwarming story for every unit, every chapter, and a little bit of biblical insight into bread in the Bible, and then the recipe. And so those stories... 30 stories or so are all about bread and there are a number of them that are from my childhood and learning to bake bread with great grandma and grandma and everyone. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. That is very cool because <laughs> memories are often tied to food for yes. us. Yes. You know? <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but like the smell of, you know, it'll bring mm-hmm. you back to like oh, yeah. cho- fresh baked chocolate chip cookies makes me think about being at, you know, my mom and Lane's house when uh-huh. I was growing up. So I, I can imagine that was... Uh, and how many cookies did you eat every time she made cookies? Oh, no, I don't even <laughs> I, I started to say I can imagine that was an especially heartwarming thing to be able to write, but yeah. you know, to be able to reflect back on those times. Oh, and, yes. The, the gift of bread was a joy to write and started off even the first unit was when the children would come home from school and we were living in Connecticut at one point with them, they would just smell that bread as they walked in the door on a cold, blustery day and oh, just yeah. start grabbing plates and butter <laughs> See, and drinks have, and everything. You may have a concept of that from Michigan, but yeah. in Florida, we don't have a concept of the warmth and the food and it's yeah. all like a thing, you know? Yes. Really, give me some of that lemonade. <laughs> right, right. I guess in a way we do then, yeah. So Karen, you have written 27 wow. books, which blows blows me away because, you know, it takes me three years to write two books. Um, I'm just curious, when did you write your first book? Oh, when did I write my first book? 1998. Wow, 1998. Yes, I wrote a book on puppetry. Well, at the time, I had a puppet TV show, so it was a natural thing to do, and I had a big puppet ministry at the church, Mm -hmm. and the younger children wanted to hold and be puppeteers, but the thing is, they couldn't hold their arms up for five straight minutes with a (laughs) five-pound puppet on their hand, as these were the type of puppets the Muppets use. In fact, I learned to make the puppets from one of the people who made Miss Piggy, so I had a lot of background in that, and I made up these movable mouth finger puppets that they could do and did a book on that. So, nice. it, so it was a, a was it a children's book then? A teacher resource okay. book that you yeah. do or for parents to use with the children. Yeah. So I'm curious because just the way that technology has probably evolved just like everything else, and I'll be nerd out for a minute, but like even the Star Wars movies, they were still using them when they could have gone to computerized stuff, but you know, there's a 
there's sort of a beloved charm to the puppet, the way they move and stuff. And I know way back when, like, you know, the Muppets first started and all, and Sesame Street, and for many years, they were heavy because they're full of foam and all the... I wonder if now there's some space-age polymer or something that holds it all together and it weighs like <laughs> nothing, but were they heavy for you, too? Oh, yes, they're quite... Because I sculpted them from the foam, as you said, and then yep. you cover them, and you have the mouth mechanism that you put in, which mm -hmm. uh, you didn't want it to break. Yes, you could use it with cardboard, but that wouldn't have held up, so you had to use a better... The, the flat PVC piping type thing turned mm -hmm. out to be one of the best so type like things machine, to use. basically on your arm. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I bet your muscles And then were you strong. have the arms you have to be able to use yeah. uh, with the rods and things. Yeah. But I, I even in the craft book coming up in December, I have paper puppets because it's all paper crafts that children can make. And I made up a whole new type of puppet that I'm not going to let you know about yet. But if you it's have me back in December, <laughs> oh, nice. I would. And that was exciting for me to do because I thought, oh, I'm tired of these type it's too awkward for a little child to hold let me come up with something smaller that I can do and I did wow oh, nice. and that, you're very crafty it sounds like <laughs> I grew up doing crafts all the time in the countryside you know you got the cows you got your cousins there's not a whole lot of anything else around <laughs> That is great. So, so, so that craft book coming up is one of your th three books that are coming out. Well, there's soon, now correct? four books this year coming okay, out. There was another. One, okay. Yes, one of my publishers added. I'm feeling like a slacker over here. <laughs> one of my publishers added a derivative product. I don't. Do you know what that means? No. A derivative. I know what that word means. Derivative is usually an iteration of something else, right? Or yes. So they went to my book that has gone into three printings that I did. I co-authored. And took out 60 devotions they liked from within 365 on a specific topic. They wanted an courage. During COVID and all, children really need some courage sure. and bravery mm -hmm. to face everything going on and all the change. Yeah. And it's called... Devos for Brave Boys coming out in November. I didn't have to do anything for it oh, until it comes cool. out and I help promote the book. Oh. That's what I was talking about with bite-sized content. That is brilliant. That I love it. That is. That is great. So the one that is releasing very soon. This week. This week is Growing a Mother's Heart. Now, I think we could all kind of guess what this book is kind of geared towards, but can you tell us a little bit about it and maybe what inspired you to write it, to come out with this book? Sure. One of the things on my heart is always to help people have a functional family. So many people grow up with dysfunction oh. that they don't have the model of knowing how to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I grew up not only with a functional family and raised functional families, I had parents who grew up with functional all the way back everybody had functional families oh, wow. in my family That's life. That's really a blessing that yes. you have. and my yes. children married family into families that were had had the parents intact and were functional. Yeah. So I wanted to have that model and I wanted to do it with little short stories. So this is really a devotional of faith, hope and love from mother's past, present, and future. There's a lot mm. we can learn from historic moms. I mean, I even yeah. have Kubla Khan's mother in here, oh, wow. <laughs> Ulan, and I have the future moms. Can you guess what I did for that? For future moms? Yes. Oh, you, so, mo so expecting moms? No, I actually went to childhood. I have quotes from children about their moms and about motherhood. Oh. And they're sprinkled in the book to give us that little bit of humor, the slice of what the kids they come think. up with. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, one little child was so precious what she said. She said, I want you to tuck me 
me in so I can feel like a stuffed burrito tonight. <laughs> oh, nice. I have seen those like YouTube clips where like around Mother's Day, they'll ask kids, what, you know, what is your, what does Mother's Day mean? Or what is your, in the things they come up with, you're just like, what is going on in that brain? It's fantastic. I know. Very creative, aren't they? Yes. And it was so much fun to add that in, to add that little bit of light side onto things, because some of the topics, of course, are on the struggles of motherhood. Some mm-hmm. are on the joys of motherhood, that memory of the first time you held your child mm-hmm. and the times they give you the kisses and hugs or say something. But others are on the difficult times. And yeah. so in giving that, that balance came balance. from the children. Yeah. And that both those things occur with being a mother or a father. Yeah, right? they do. Yeah, they're, all they're the both time. there. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's brilliant. It sounds great. Um, it sounds very inspiring. How long does it take you to put a book together? Because when I I keep thinking, you know, this many books. What are you writing a book every every hour? <laughs> Seriously, how long does it take? It depends on how much time they give me. They gave me a long time on this book, which was nice because I was interviewing a lot of moms for the stories that I had oh, in that, okay. as well as using my own stories, mm-hmm. sometimes changing up names of children and also it didn't look like they were all me or something. <laughs> right, right. And then, or because maybe they didn't want to, don't tell that embarrassing story about me. Well, I'll tell it about somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Fictional. That's a different that's name. No, that's character. that whole first page of every book that says the names uh-huh. and characters These made are characters for fictional Uh (laughs) Right. And, but there was one time I had to do a devotional on hope, 365 devotions on hope, but they were going to be short that they could only give me two months to write it. So I did it in two months. Oh, goodness. And then I I did a. Okay, I see. Yeah, I did an in depth book that is a historic nonfiction of a true daily story from 1755 to 2012 of what happened during American war times on the home front to the women, families, and children. Now, you can easily read about Colonel Custard, but you can't find things about his wife that easily. So it was more right. digging for everything. And when they only gave me nine months, they said, I need a co-author. So I got a co-author, another Coast Guard wife, and we were able to do it. We got it in on like 10 p.m. on, on the deadline day. day? Yes. So I'm just curious, <laughs> do you pick the topics for the books or do they bring you an idea of where, where they want you to go? You can go both ways. So okay. when I send in a proposal, it's my idea. When AMG came to me and asked me if I would do something on World War II, I said, you know, that's not really about family. And I'm all about the family. Mm-hmm. I would like to do a book on the home front. And they said, well, what would be in that? And I started explaining what would be in And he says, I want a proposal. And when I got the proposal in, my editor said, you know, that's the best book book proposal I've seen this year. No, that's the best book proposal I've ever seen. Oh, and wow. in three weeks we had the contract. <gasps> oh, that's okay, amazing. So I kind of see, so you're kind of, they say they want something, but you want it to fit your genre and what you love to write about. So yes. that way the book's going to turn out good, right? Because your heart is in it. Right. Like, this is your interest in yes. it. Yes. And AMG, who did the Homefront book, came to me and said, would I do something in this line of Battlefield and Blessings that the Homefront is in, but on either caregivers or teachers? And I thought, well, I'm not a teacher. I know a lot. And my caregiving of my husband was very different when he had cancer. So I said, how about mothers? And they said, well, that certainly is a Battlefield and Blessing field. But then they decided, let's make it a standalone. We're not going to put it in that line. You don't have to do it that way. But because that publisher uses a lot of history, I thought, I want this to be unique for moms, so I'm going to use the historic moms, and every week would have one historic from history mom and one mm. historic mom from the Bible. 
So did you and hey. contemporary moms? So it made it a little different. Oh, it melded them all But together. it also goes with that publishing house and what they do. Okay. So for so I know that I, I know about your faith, and I know that you knew those stories. But for the for the other stories, the just general history, did you have to look those up? Did you have to go start digging through history books or oh, the internet? Yes, I mean, especially the historic and faith one. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, even this, they had to have faith as well as history. I went to Chig up in Pennsylvania where the French-Indian War took place, and I didn't say that quite right because I haven't said it recently. My co-author, because she lived where the Smith family, from the the Sullivan family, where they had all five die in World War II. Oh, yes. And she was going to uh, San Antonio anyway so she could go to the Alamo, and she researched those areas. Mm -hmm. So you went to these areas to research? uh, Yeah, I went up the East Coast all the way to John Adams Library, and wow. I lived in in Maryland at the time, so going to the um, going to Pennsylvania and Yorktown and places wasn't that far for me, as well as to go to Baltimore itself, where of course so much of eighteen twelve took place, and finding the stories and uh, just really finding such a richness in letters that had been written and everything else. Oh, uh, that, yeah. I mean, that sounds really fun. Like, it really does, actually, because every a- time we go someplace. Um, that's different or has some history to it. We're always like stopping and reading plaques and like we it. are yeah. like reading everything because we want to take it in and kind of be in that moment or, you know, it, or appreciate what they experienced or went through at that place that we're at. Yeah, absolutely. And from the, from the, you know, the writer perspective, which of course is the mindset I'm in when you're talking about this, it's, uh, it's a totally different process. You know me, I'm always fascinated with the writing process, but you're gathering information, you're going to these places, you're sort of experiencing the energy that's there, and then you bring all that back and, you know, and... And, and but, but then, then you have to take all that you've gathered and get it, synthesize it down into 400 <laughs> words yes. for each story. One place was so big, I did a whole week on Ann Whittle from uh, Red Hill in New Jersey, and... That so much happened because one of the first victories of the American Revolution took place on her front yard. And there was a lot that happened in the town and all. But for the most part, everything has to get into one 400 word story. And I added, I always like to add a different element Uh because of what we are talking about that we like and we wanted to know more about. The seventh day of every week in that book has a glimpse into society of that time. So in the American Revolution, I talked about the colonial clothing, and I found out the answer to a question I wanted of what did they do for maternity clothes? Oh, for moms. (laughs) Yes, and bread during that time, and various things. 1812, it was uh, shipbuilding during that time, as well as the first celebrations of Christmas in the White House, and Dolly Madison and society. So I could really get this glimpse of what was happening and give that to people beyond just these stories that I was telling. Wow, that is it. So um, what is the writing process for you to go gather that information, come back? Do you lay it out on index cards? Do you get on a computer? Do you... I'm just fascinated by the process. Yeah, I tend to just get on the computer and I tend to gather it with pictures and taking notes. Now, the notes I may take in person. If you go to a historic society, you can't bring a computer in. Mm. If you go to a historic library, you have to put the gloves on and look at everything. You have to take notes. Of course. And so it's very different as to what you can do. You can have pages copied and you pay for each page, but there are times it's well worth having those pages copied. Yes, of course. Wow, that's fascinating. 
super fascinating. <laughs> and you write on contract most of the time. You talk about how you have a certain amount of time before. Um, do you do all of your work is through publishers and on contract? Do you do anything independent or is it because again, we talked a little bit before the show, but I want to switch to a, a publisher. Did, were you always in? I mean, uh, in publishers, were you independent originally? I'm just curious about that. No, too. I started. I started far enough back in the late 1990s before we had indie publishing. You had Vanity Press, which was not always a good thing and wasn't right. looked upon well. Mm. It's changed just to how people view things. So I started with traditional publishers, and I've just always stayed with that. Yeah. My feeling has been that if I can't do traditional, that's fine. I'll just do articles because I've written more than eight hundred articles, and oh I have a lot of ends with to the list. a number of editors <laughs> know who I am, and they'll come to me for articles and other things. Like when COVID happened, I had people who wanted me to write articles of what are we going to do with the children at home you're a family person tell us and yeah. I made up things like I did an article on how to do a stay at home field trip oh, <laughs> hey, I love it. I but love you're it. you've had five children you have 14 <laughs> grandchildren you know these things oh, like yeah. you can give them some tidbits I of told them how to go to the zoo at home to set up the little chairs like you do to pretend yeah. you're on a trip and going somewhere uh-huh. sure. <laughs> and you get off and you have all your stuffed animals and pictures of animals and so you're at the zoo and situation and you learn and yeah. read some books and just, you know, f- take a lunch yeah. break and all sorts of things. You made a picnic. I mean, like, seriously. You know, so many you, people camped in their own yards, you know, those kind of things. Yes. You know, but so, uh, I feel like a lot of parents n- nowadays really need help with that because most parents are working outside the home. Kids are in daycare and, yeah. are in, you know, and are, or in school. So when they are home full time... And, you know, we're in a technology-driven world, and that's what entertains them a lot. But you don't want to just dump them off in front of the iPad. No, so I think a lot of parents were looking for that. (laughs) What's something different that they can do? I don't want them to just stare into a screen all day. So I think that was like perfect timing for a book like that or an article like that. Right. Well, and I did a, a number of articles, so just to help the parents out. And I'm yep. very happy doing articles too. You don't even have to market them, which is a nice thing. Yeah. And yet, if you do articles, they can help market your book. Yeah, because if somebody likes what's in there, then they're going to look you up. They're going to look you up. And, yes. you're, and you're right up about what to do during COVID may or may not have inspired YouTube videos I saw where parents had set up rides in the house uh, and maybe the, so you never know. <laughs> well, I did some Facebook Live too on what to do with the children. So oh, yeah. now, nice. now did you have sample children? So did you have your grandkids over and did you use them as props? Like, look at what we're gonna do today and have right. a little acting gig or you just know? years of experience. <laughs> just years of experience for the most part. I did have some children I was doing some Zoom things with, including grandchildren. My grandchildren who were nearby because of the my daughter-in-law's health conditions and things, she didn't want them going anywhere and they mm. didn't want to. So yeah, it's it would understandable, be yeah. very, uh, very selective of when we did get together. Yeah, yeah. And so to keep everybody safe. Yes. That's the most important thing. Right. So as Dan mentioned in the intro, you're, you have all these things that you do. <laughs> um, and one of those things is that you're a coach for, you're a writing coach and a marketing coach. So I'm just curious about both those things and kind of what's involved in either or of them. Do they work together or what do you do for each one of them? Right. Well, I'm a certified coach. So that was a year of training of college level training and testing and things 
So the writing part is to really go through and help them with whatever they're having a problem with. Like one person, their problem was they wrote rather academically and they weren't relatable enough to their audience. So it was just teaching them how to break things down a little bit more and add in a few questions, a few little comments that would make it more relatable and less academic. And other times it's on the marketing that I try to give them some very specific ideas of how to market their book. And their particular it, book, their particular style or story? or whatever. Well, their particular story, like one person had a book that had double uh, Dutch in it, the jump rope. Mm-hmm. And I said, have you ever thought about tying into heart association and jumping for the heart health? And mm, things like smart. that that yeah. I would bring in to talk about that they could do. Oh. And have you, because there's a lot of ditties they like when they're doing double dunch, mm-hmm. dutch, have you ever thought of making up a new one for them that might even tie into the heart It's fine, your audience. Wow. Yes, yeah, so it's it's thinking specifically, what are you doing? Who And that was, you know, a, a middle grade book for girls. Mm-hmm. So how can we tie that in and give you a unique marketing plan that you can work with and work from that makes it very different, but you might be able to tie into a big organization or even local ones. You might be able to tie into the fitness for girls, anything like that. So it depends on what the book is about always. And it depends on what direction you go as far as giving them ideas. Exactly. Wow. That's, but... Oh, I know what I wanted to um, talk about too. You're also a certified personality coach. I've never heard of such a thing. Please explain this. I yes. need to know more about it. <laughs> personality trainer. I work with the four temperaments. So uh, basically, you have the people who are outgoing, and they're either the outgoing, bossy kind of person, <laughs> or the Did outgoing, me the or the outgoing, socializing type person. <laughs> okay. All right. So you have that socializer who's hard to pin down. In fact, it's probably not so easy to give them a to-do list because they'll never find it again. <laughs> as it is to take little sticky notes and put them where they're going to be hopping to. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, and, and then you have the, well, the person who is a little bit more bossy that is really a great teacher. They automatically want to show and tell mm-hmm. how to do things better to anyone who's around them. Yeah, and the- that's but that too. can be a great <laughs> that can be a great strength, okay? Uh-huh. And what you're doing on anyone is finding their strength and their weaknesses. You mm-hmm. have the uh, organizer person who's analytical that takes their time and they don't make up their mind. Like my son James, when he was little, and I said to him, "What's your favorite color?" And he just sat there, and I thought, I know he's thinking. So I went off doing things. Came back about thirty minutes later, and it's he a says, "Very important decision, mom." Yes. <laughs> and he said to me, "Mom, my favorite color, well." It's green, but not the green of the grass and not the green of, and not the green of, and so I looked and thought, I think he's describing jade green. And I went and got something that had that. And I said, is this the color? And he says, yes, that's the color. (laughs) Well, when he was in college years later, I never forgot his choice of this and how long it took. I saw that color in yarn. I said, I have to make him a sweater. He's up in Boston. And so I knitted him this cable sweater out of that color. He loved it. And it's interesting that he married someone who loves knitting, but she's never been able to find that color in the sweater finally disintegrated i mean he wore it so much because it was still his favorite color that child is usually not going to change their mind on things easily but they take a long time to make a decision they take longer to do their work because they want it perfect Mm. yes oh i love that and you know what i've i've we've done these little um 
Personality chat test. communications things at work. And um, it's kind of the same thing where you're learning where you fit in, but you're a little bit of everything, but you'd have the more dominant. Yes, you one. have like a dominant. Action is my first one. Mm-hmm. But. but a mobilizer is an action oriented person. Action. Okay. <laughs> and they're the director. They're the director mm-hmm. mobilizer. They want to get things done and they're very efficient. And people get a little annoyed because they're usually right. <laughs> I, and they be, think they're right. That might be largely why, you know, all jokes aside, I love this part of the conversation, but that might be why you and I get along so well, Angie, because yes. I, I've, I've always felt like and heard from therapists or whatever throughout my life that I'm 50% sort of social light and 50% introvert, which isn't super common for a personality. And you kind of do that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we're both go, 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 get this done, get that done. Right, but that can be because the organizer can be the other type personality to the person who is the mobilizer, who's Mm -hmm. the one who's directing things and a powerful personality. And the person who's the socializer, their other part of their personality can be a very laid back kind of a person. I wish I was laid back. So I think we're swapped on that part. Because I'm not the laid back And so, you know, depending on what that other type of the personality is. Now, as we grow and mature and learn to work from our strengths and overcome our weaknesses, if you were to look at this on a cross bar kind of a chart everyone moves towards the center more Mm. if they are really maturing well that makes total sense to me because you know you look back on your life at the way you acted in certain Mm -hmm. scenarios and you're like wow i have come a long way since then yeah (laughs) we all we all hopefully we all mature but when when you do this personality coaching is it that people come to you that need assistance with that? Is it for people's careers? Families? It can be careers. It can be families. How do I get along with my child? I can't get them to do anything. Uh Well, maybe you're being too bossy for their personality and overwhelming them. Maybe you're socializing so much that they're also feeling like you're getting into their space and they want their own little tight space because they're this organizer, analytical person. It's Mm. understanding your personality and your child's personality. Are these two are fighting so much? Why are they fighting? Again, it often has to do with personality. Yeah. Where were you like three months ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, many years ago. I, I, I mean, I really wish I would have had those type of, I would have looked for that type of information because I'm sure there was something out there. Yeah. Um, because I could never really identify with my younger son. You know what I mean? Because mm. we were total opposite. Like my, my oldest son is more like me, like just kind of, you know, just, uh, you know, Get stuff done and just don't worry. Don't. I don't know how to describe it. You're very My, motivated yet not um, taking anything too serious. If yeah. things go wrong, mm-hmm. we just figure out a way around it. And pretty quick. The opposite is, of me. Yeah, and my youngest son's very emotional and he takes things to heart, and I'm I don't. You know, so right. it was hard for me to identify. And I used to tell my ex husband that I just don't understand him, and I wish I would have done a little more digging, so that I mean now we're working on it. You know yeah. what I mean, but. Um, I wish I could go back and, and do a little more digging yeah, or something like that. And sometimes just a few tips helps. Even now, that same child with the jade green, when he calls me on the phone, there can be a lot of silence moments in there. If I ask him a question, I know I just have to wait. If I think he's calling for a certain reason, but I don't know what it is, I'll ask, how are you doing? Is there something you want to talk about? And he won't tell me right away, but he'll get to it. You just wait it out. 
I do because I've learned that's not yeah. my nature to be patient in that way. But I can just sit there thinking, I just love you so much. <laughs> I love how you're thinking this all through so that you're not going to hurt my feelings, so that you say it just the way you want to. And I just wait on it because I understand what's going yeah. on in his mind and his personality. Oh, wow. That's a good way. To, that's a that's a very positive way to look at it. You're you you appreciate that he's really thinking about the words that he's about to say. Yeah. And you you so you you said that you are certified coach. Is a lot of this personality stuff a result of the training or is it a result of your life with so many kids and such a big family or maybe all of the above? There's a combination that I somehow intuitively knew a lot about personalities growing up. We have an emotional IQ as well as a regular intelligent mm, IQ. Sure. And I noticed when I was pregnant with each that I could sort of tell something about their personality, and that's how they are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just the way they moved inside of me. That particular one with Jade, uh-huh. okay, that he liked green, he used to tap me before he kicked you, so to say, I have to kick. Got to stretch, Mom, but I don't want to hurt you. That is And funny. he rolled more than he kicked. Yeah. And that was all. And where is my one who's that? powerful director personality if I tried to sit when she didn't want to sit she went crazy kicking until I got up or if I laid down to go to bed that was her time to do 20 laps around the pool I would say and so she is still that I want to be in charge that, and I, I get so energized to that though wow. because even as a dad and I was a very always have been a very involved dad my son from the moment he was born for and he wasn't colicky or anything but the first Oh, it felt like two months. First, my first child was very difficult, always unhappy, always crying, always frustrated. And my daughter, you know, I was ready for that same experience. This time I was geared up and she was <laughs> totally a breeze. And that's kind of how they were, have been yeah. throughout their whole lives where, you know, he's more challenging. She's more easygoing. So mm-hmm. it. Personalities. Personalities. Yes. It's like you're born with it. And yeah. Give it meeting the need of that personality, that socializer who wants more attention. And if you're a parent who doesn't give that child that attention, they're gonna do bad things to get attention mm-hmm. just because they so want it. Sure. And if you understand what they need, then life becomes easier for you. Yes. Yeah. That that's a that's a great way to look at oh, it. Oh, it really yeah. is. So this past year's been a little um trialsome. <laughs> How have you continued to coach during this period? Did you move everything to virtual? Were you already kind of doing that? Did you wean off a little bit? Oh, my coaching has always been virtual, so oh, that okay. has not been a problem. Nice. In fact, some people found they had more time to be coached because they weren't driving to work mm. and they, or maybe they lost their job, whatever, and yeah. they could look at that type of thing. So, yeah. oh, that's great. and I don't advertise my coaching generally. I just word of mouth end up getting okay. clients and well, that works that's a, out. That's a good way because then it's then it's not something that um, you know you you have a lot of books that you need to write so this yes. is something that you offer but you're not it's not the priority maybe because you are you know doing this as a living correct right yes yeah. well you know speaking of COVID with your involvement in working with authors and coaching authors have you seen this sort of landscape of maybe new authors or really any, but especially I'm curious about like first time authors. Have you seen the process for which they release their books or submit their books to an agent? Has that changed because of COVID or is that all pretty much still the same? The biggest change I have seen 
is that publishers are not getting out to conferences. Mm. The editors are not to meet new authors and grab them in. They have to rely on the agents who also are not meeting them. And what also is happening, the publishers are a little afraid, what's happening, what should we do? And they're going to their regular authors and asking them to write more books. Rather and than hence, finding new authors. That's mm. part of why I have five oh, books this dreadful. year and then one coming out in January because during this time they had more time to review my proposals anyway. Yeah. And they didn't want to take a chance on someone new that they didn't know what they would do for marketing. They said, well, I market and I pivot when I need to so they could come to me for that. And that's one of the big things I've seen. And I've said to anyone that I'm coaching, you really have to work on that marketing section of your proposal. It is more important than ever that they understand you have different ways and you will pivot in order to market the book because they know we have 3,000 books a day coming out because of indie authors. Yeah. And it used to be that if you did a vanity press type book, an independent book, that you could sell 300 copies. Do you know what the average is now? I have no idea. 30 copies. Yeah, I believe it. It's really much harder for two reasons. One, you have more people writing, so guess Mm -hmm. what? They're not reading and buying. Yeah. And two, you have just more books flooding the market and there's so much more and so harder to get visibility on it. I think we I think we um, learned about that from Violet um, Favreau. Yeah. About um, just the flooding of so many books. Yeah. And And you said you you said one thing right there that nailed it because people ask me, oh, have you read so and so? Have you read this? And I was such an avid reader. Mm. But now if I have time to read, I write. And yes. that's, that's exactly what you just said, basically. And I shouldn't have said dreadful when you first said they're not taking on new authors, because that's great for you as a as a new, somewhat new author, you know, someone that's trying to get published. It's scary, though. It's Because I would think during COVID, there's a lot more reading going on. People are stuck at home, but maybe not. People stuck at home who always wanted to write a book said, now's my time. Ah. However, you have the people who have been doing indie for a couple of years that all of a sudden all their sources of selling, speaking and going out to events dried up yes. and they're getting very discouraged and I have a feeling we're going to have a lot of them dropping out, going back to reading and other things and it will be replaced by some of those who were writing during COVID. I don't know that established authors like me are having things that are changing as much yeah. other than we had a lot of opportunity now. If we don't step on our, up our game and market enough, that may be our last big opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to know that we're going to be marketing what we are writing this year more critically than other years. Now, a lot of mine is done with media because... I am a former television host. A lot of it is done with articles because I write a lot of articles. Mm-hmm. And I write the articles that I can have a bio in where I can list a title that matches that. Those type of things. Yeah. You have to be wise about how you're investing your time. Yeah. Well, I think we, we keep saying pivot kind of from friends, pivot. which is a little joke. But <laughs> that's exactly what show. you're saying really is that <laughs> you're, you are willing to and know how to pivot when you need to. And that seems to be across the board for people that have had businesses continue to be successful through COVID. Mm. New businesses even start during COVID. We've met with some people who've had that happen, and it was all by pivoting what they were doing before by changing gears. And instead of trying to just make the old business model work right through COVID, they were able to change direction. Exactly. And that's why even in where I live, one bookstore, two bookstores have gone out of business that were Christian bookstores, the religious type, and two new ones opened up. Yeah. 
So do you have that happening? Some yeah. just couldn't pivot and some opened up during this time with an idea of what to do. Yeah, yeah we, we've heard a lot of success stories of businesses that have started during COVID and are showing success. It's, it's really quite amazing, yeah. some of the mm-hmm. things we've heard. But speaking of pivoting, so you talked about you do a lot of speaking engagements at conferences and things like that. That has obviously changed. Has that moved to virtual? Have they just been put on pause? Like how, I know you probably want to get back at that because that was part of, you know, what you do. Some have moved to virtual and some are going back to real life. Okay. The Florida conference that, Christian Writers Conference that takes place in October now, used to be in the spring, it had switched a couple years ago, will be live in October and they actually managed to be live last October. I was not in it then, but I am going to be part of the conference this year in person so you're yes i will go uh the philadelphia conference that i do every couple of years is going to be virtual but i will be on that team in june for a couple of days so i'll have to know exactly which hours i really have to be on and when i will be having 15 minute meetings with people and then the colorado conference right now they're still slating that to be live in August in Estes Park in the Western, up in the Rockies in Colorado. Oh, very nice. And these are all writers' conferences. Mm -hmm. So can you just give us a little glimpse into what a conference looks like that you go to? All right, well, say if you went to the Blue Ridge Conference in May, that has usually 500 conferees and a huge faculty of about 100 people. You've got editors there, you've got agents there, you've got established authors, new authors, a huge track of different things that are being taught. You can go to a smaller conference, a mid-size that's 300, that's Philadelphia, Colorado Mm -hmm. often, and then there are smaller conferences too, like South Carolina Christian Writers Conference that has maybe 100 people, and so their faculty is much smaller, they have less to offer, but they will have a bigger track on how to really write. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of them will offer tracks on writing, but the difference is with the larger ones, you have more opportunity to have one-on-one meetings with publishers, editors, agents, anyone that you want to. You've, there's a certain time that you get to sign up, and some of them you can pay ahead of time an extra $30 to have uh, two 15, basically a 30-minute session, mm-hmm. and you send in your work ahead so they have gone through to edit it for you. Now, this is for editors, but is this also how you might shop for an agent or a publisher? Well, yeah, that's as an author, yeah. you go to meet your publishers. That's how I met so many of my publishers, yeah. my oh, agent, and nice. everything else. And so because you can have that meeting with that agent or yeah. that editor or an author you've always admired to say, how do you do this? You can have that personal time. You also have meal time with them, which is really nice to do. Yeah, oh, sure. Get to and casually, yeah. Right. And some of them have done that with small rooms where um, ASJ, the American Society of Journalists and Authors that I'm in, we have a conference coming up the 13th, the, 20, the 14th, 21st, and 28th will be their conference days. They'll have three different tracks. That's One, ASJAY, that's called? ASJA, American ASJA. Society of Journalists and Authors. So they're going online, which they did last summer, and there'll be a journalism track, a content marketing track, wow. and a book track. And you can sign up for just a specific track and pay for that. But what they're doing to have that dinner you're missing is they're having snack chats. Because we have oh, people nice. from the 
West Coast yep. to the East Coast on here and some from Europe and places that they can just bring whatever they want to eat at that time. And from noon to one Eastern time, that snack room will be open. There'll be someone who's facilitating it and they will have a couple of experts in, but you get to chat with them and talk and pitch and that's things cool. like that. So yeah. that's really is cool. So I was going to ask, what's the importance of an author, an indie author, going to a conference? But we don't need to say anything else because this is your opportunity to your opportunity network, to yeah. network and to pitch and to find out what you're doing wrong that you could improve on. Mm. And and part of what you, and I only know this because of the workshops that we've done together, but part of what you provide in that, how to better pitch yourself, how to, that's where that really comes mm. into play. Because if you go in there with a great story and you have no idea how to pitch, you're a disaster. That's, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, a, you it's like to, a job interview you don't know how to do. you got to have to. that elevator pitch about yeah. why me, why yes. my book. Yeah, but there's an actual structure to a pitch, too, like oh, a, an okay. absolute structure. There is, because you have to show in that 30-second pitch that you know your audience that you know what problem you're solving Mm. that you know the style or genre that you're doing it within those types of parameters Mm. have to be built into that pitch but the thing is from that pitch you can modify it just a little bit and it's the same pitch that you then use to market the book when you meet someone who says well what's your book about and you're you don't want to go in a little rabbit tail um uh uh you know you want to actually be able to tell them basically (laughs) yeah yeah because if like when I try to describe your books to people, it's hard for me too because I feel like you have so many different elements in there. Yeah. So it's hard for me to say when he says thriller, I think scarier when I think of thriller, yeah. but you're it is thriller. You know yeah. what I mean? So I try to like But that's where you want to say it's multifaceted thriller. See that's in what which I there is say. different depth <laughs> within it and behind it what the thrill is, and you can tell them a little bit about that. Yeah. But that's where you have to think, how can I phrase this to gain their interest? Yes. Yeah. What would sound interesting? Because it's interesting to me and I love it. Yeah. But it it's I'm just, I just want to go, just read it because I don't want to give anything but away. No, but nobody's <laughs> going to. And that's what I loved I about your advice. I know. Yeah. And that's what I loved about your advice, Karen, is that you, you know, you, you can have the best story ever, but if you can't pitch it, it's not worth it's having. It's not worth having. And, yeah. I, and I also love how you just said you can take the pitch that you would bring to an agent and modify it a little. I'm just sort of repeating for my own brain, modify it a little just for your audience for yeah. interest because I could see why you don't want it to be exactly the same. But, you yeah. know, a slight change, you could make it interesting to just Joe Average Reader. Right. Well, the editor has to know the ending. They have to know what's guess, going to happen to decide if this is going to be realistic, will it fit in our line? Right. Yeah. But the reader, you don't want to give that ending away exactly. for. So there is a big difference on that. You know, when I was pitching even the Homefront book, I talked about that Abigail Adams and her great statement that she said to her husband, John Adams, you know, I may not see you again on this side of heaven, but basically she went on and said, I believe in the cause and I know that this is what God wants us to do. So using those types of quote like that, I started with as part of the in-depth pitch and was able to share about what some of the 
possibilities were that would be in the book of the things that military wives, mm. f- children, and mothers faced. Yeah. And yeah. how oh, it heavy. changed our society. Yeah. We went from women were always had to be at home till they had to run the farm and the industry when the man yeah. went off yeah. to fight. Yeah. And that brought us into the modern age and the Industrial Revolution, really. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I never that, thought of it in that way. Yeah, yeah, because they're <laughs> they're uh, struggling too. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but that was the catalyst. The really catalyst there. for that. Yeah. Well, Mother's Day is coming out, coming up, <laughs> coming out. Angie, <laughs> May May ninth. Yes, May ninth. I think I have it right. Um, and this would be the perfect little gift for mothers. I agree. I'm winking. <laughs> Growing a mother's heart. So, you know, we, we, especially for the moms who love to read. Um, so this is a perfect little addition, I think, to the Mother's Day gift. I think so, too. And, and flowers as well. Of course. Yeah, I think it's a great. And we'll put links in the show notes on how you can get a copy of the book. Karen, thank you so much for coming and meeting with us. It's been so nice to talk to you in person. And thank you for your insight about, you know, writing and um, you know, Lots I, of information. I, I would ask you what's next, but I assume it's another <laughs> 10 books. Yeah, there's four <laughs> books this year. Okay, right? By, by October. Five, uh, by, by December. But by, by December. Okay, I think, you know, there mm-hmm. might be enough for right. this year. I well, mean, if this one goes well, I think we're going to expand the line from one book to more. Okay. But cool. we'll have to see what happens with that. Only, yeah. you might be thinking of growing a grandmother's heart or something. No, I'm thinking more along the lines of growing a peaceful heart. Oh, yeah. At oh, a time wonderful. when we need that. No yes. doubt. Oh, no doubt. You know, it certainly could have growing a wife's heart, but there's yeah. a lot of directions we can go into from I think that heart. So. Definitely. And, yeah. and that's such yes. a great title, too. Now that I know more of what it's about. It's a yeah. great title, Growing a Mother's Heart. Right, because you think, I've failed, I'm done, I can't do it. But no, you can still grow. There's Tomorrow is a new day for you. Yeah. yeah. And that ties in with what we believe is that you learn something different every day, right? You should always be changing, growing, evolving in some way, emotionally, <laughs> spiritually, whatever it may be. You're you're changing constantly. So yes. that, that goes right hand if, in hand with that. Yeah, I agree. We, we kind of have this philosophy that if you're not evolving, if you're not growing, then you're dying. You know, you're yeah. not. Why are you here? <laughs> you can't be stagnant. Anyway, Karen, thanks, thanks again for coming out and meeting with us in person. And it's been really nice to chat with you. And we wish you much continued success. I have a feeling that you're going to get it. Yeah. And where can people find you if they want to um, find some of your information? Well, the best place is go to my website, KarenWhiting.com. Whiting like the fish, W-H-I-T-I-N-G. And the normal way of spelling Karen, the old-fashioned K-A-R-E-N. And from there, you can go to my social media that I'm on. And you might want to connect with me on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere. Perfect. Awesome. I think that's usually the easiest way is to send them to the website because everybody usually has the little icons and they links. Just go there, straight so to it. Are you pretty right. active on social media? I'm more active on Facebook at the moment than anywhere else in Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest, boy. Hey, Getting Pinterest. two of them mixed up, you know? Hey, that's Pinterest. a new social media platform right there. You guys might be on to something. You better Pinterest. see if that's taken. Pinterest. We, we get that right I now. I knew what you meant, though. Yeah, She's a huge fan of Pinterest. Uh, yeah. And so... Yes, they can meet with me there and say hi and tell them, tell me that they heard me on Danji. Very That's nice. Fine and Danji. Fine and Danji. <laughs> yes, please do. Actually, yes. if you if this is your first time you've heard of uh, heard of or from Karen and you buy one of her books, please let her know that because yeah, that helps all three of us. It yes. really does. All right, Karen. Well, thank you so much. And guys. 
stay tuned because we will be right back after a short break. Welcome back, and we hope you enjoyed that interview with Karen Whiting. That was very interesting. It was. She had a lot of great information and so successful just in like her family life and her career. So you can see why. Yeah. You, you can tell, at least career wise, I don't, you know, family's hard to tell. I guess she has a good family and she's been a good mom and a good part of her family. But career wise, which is great, but career wise, when she's talking about how she's traveled and she does research mm. and the little tidbit she adds in certain parts of a book and so thought out and so methodical in the way that she markets and the way that yeah. she helps other people market, just such an interesting story. So if you want to find out more about Karen Whiting, as we mentioned before, we'll put a link to her website in the show notes. Yeah. So and also, um, if you're an author who needs a little assistance, she does the coaching. So yeah. definitely reach out if you need some help in that area. Yes, indeed. And I do need some help in that area. Well, then guess what you need to do? We've reach already out. talked for sure. <laughs> we, we will be talking further. Um, but also, guys, we wanted to remind you about our YouTube channel. We're trying to drive up traffic to it. We're going to be coming out with little bite-sized snippets of while you're in Florida. So if you're living here in Florida like us, it's still good to kind of learn what you can do. Things that Angie would say are in your backyard. Or if you're on vacation here, then it might give you an idea of some cool things you can do. Yeah. And um, yeah, your subscription to our YouTube channel would really help. And you can subscribe by going to bit.ly forward slash YouTube dash fine and dangy. Wow. What I had was, that memorized. What was that link again? It's the bit.ly link, but it's bit.ly forward slash YouTube dash fine and dangy. Nice. Very impressive that you memorize that and you're not reading anything. And I'm not reading the phone number right now when I say you can also call us at 407-490-3899. Even though nobody uses phones to call anybody anymore, you could call that number and leave us a message if you want to be a guest on the show. If you know someone or a business or a charity or an artist or anything along those lines that you think would be a good guest on the show, or if you have a suggestion for the show itself, you can also email us at feedback at fineanddangy.com. That's right, guys. And if you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, as well as give us a rating and a review if you have the time. We would so much, very appreciate it. And you know what? You You did it again. You did the Yoda thing. I love it. I did it. We would would so so much, much very appreciate it. (laughs) Nice. Oh, Angie. Hey, it sounded okay. People know who Yoda is. He's cool, man. He's cool. Yes, because if you gave us a review, it would be helping those in your community. Oh, what a tie-in. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, (laughs) you're helping those in your community. Those in your community by us. That's yes. okay. And all serious and that is true, but in all yes. seriousness, we also want to remind you, you know, how can you help more people today? What are you doing in your community to help more people? If it's donating money, that's great. If it's donating your time, that's great. If it's as simple as holding the door for someone, that's great. Or passing out free smiles. Ding. There you go. Hashtag help more people. Hashtag ding. Hashtag ding. And guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, at the end of each and every day. 
It's all fine and dandy. I love how and 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 what was that again? That has to be the outtake. What was that again? I totally I ran out of RAM. <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> 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 